Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Electric Light Orchestra. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. Light Orchestra. How am I going to say that over and over again through this podcast? I need to come up with some sort of shortened version. So let's just call them ELO going forward, shall we? I 
of the most successful bands that sprung up in the wake of the Beatles breakup. And I spoke about a lot of these groups in the Power Pop episode, so I'm not going to run down a list, but ELO may have been the only band to declare that they existed purely to pick up where the Beatles left off on I Am The Walrus. of the group began with The Move, a band that was more popular in the UK and never found a voice anywhere else. The Move were led by Roy Wood and eventually included Bev Bevan on drums and Mr. Jeff Lynne, who figures prominently in this story. Jeff would end up being the face and voice of ELO, as most know. By the end of the life of the move, the group existed only to finance and push the creation of ELO. a rock band that heavily incorporated horns, strings, woodwinds to create a powerful classical sound. Yeah. 
So the first fruits of his endeavors was the album No Answer, which came out in England in 71 and here in the States in 72. But it's known as Electric Light Orchestra in England instead of No Answer. And the reason why is because there was a record company secretary who had been tasked with calling the UK office to find out what the name of the album was going to be before it went to press. And so when she called, the phone just rang and rang and she scribbled down No Answer. And that became the album title. contained the first minor hit they had entitled, and I don't know if I say the 10538 Overture, or if you're supposed to say the 10538 Overture. notice on these early recordings that the strings are much rawer. You can hear the bow on the string and it's just a different sound than what would evolve eventually, especially once they really started incorporating synthesizers. 
In a live setting, these non-electric instruments would be a problem. The cellos and the violins could not be heard above the bass, the drums, the guitars. They would eventually put pickups on the stringed instruments after their first few gigs. During the recordings for the second album, creatively called ELO2, Roy Wood departed after conflicts with Jeff Lynne and their manager Don Arden. So Roy took a handful of the stringed instrument players from the group and he started a new band called Wizard. much more of a glam rock direction, and he became something more of a, a cult artist, while ELO slowly ascended to superstar status. The first three albums suffer from weak production. Jeff Lynne had not quite mastered the mixing board. Some people really love those old albums. They consider everything after that to be a sellout, but ELO was just getting started. <laughs> 
1974's El Dorado was the first step. This is where Jeff Lynne started employing a full orchestra instead of multi-tracking the string, so he ended up with a much smoother sound. And this album is considered to be a prog rock classic. title track gained a certain notoriety when it was claimed by some religious fundamentalists that El Dorado contained satanic messages. Whatever. Jeff Lynn had finally found his sound. See, the cool thing about the music industry at the time was that they allowed artists to grow. With ELO, each album got progressively better until the 80s anyway. Broken 
released Face the Music in 1975, they began a half-decade long of swinging for the fences, and the hits just started flowing. You made a fool of me, but the broken dreams have got to Now the group was a major draw, and they played huge arenas and concert halls. When a new world record dropped, they could do no wrong. They had the fancy logo down, the elaborate stage, giant spaceship, whole bunch of hits. A new world record is a masterstroke of old world Beatles mixed with what was then the current technology, but it still sounds fantastic. A really solid record and not a bad place to start if you're just joining the program. Some people started to think that some of these songs when they came out were Beatles songs. They sounded like it, and with the Beatles gone, it was a welcome thing. Mm-hmm. 
On a New World Record, they did a remake of the Move song, Do Ya? And coincidentally, the song was also covered by Ace Fraley in the 80s. So what do you do when you've put out your best work and your band's on fire? You go for the double album. What usually happens next is the artist blows their wad. They never quite recover like Stevie Wonder, Smashing Pumpkins, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Guns N' Roses, Bruce Springsteen. But Out of the Blue is a really good album. It's a bit expansive. It could have been one better single album, in my opinion. But it's chock full of hits and some worthwhile deep cuts. sent the band into the stratosphere with what was the highest grossing tour in history at the time. They played Wembley Stadium in the UK for eight straight sold out nights. Even John Lennon gave him a thumbs up.
So then the group took a well-deserved rest, and in 1979 they came out with what's my very favorite album of theirs. It's called Discovery, but it's known by fans as Disco Very. Because about the time Disco was dying, this fantastic ambitious record reared its head defiantly and said, Give me the beats. their most overplayed song Don't Bring Me Down was on this record but every other song on there is fantastic and there's nothing wrong with Don't Bring Me Down I'm just tired of hearing it there's not a bad song on the record and has a really cool album cover Production is sleek, 
Beatle influences still reign supreme, more sense than strings. This song is called The Diary of Horace Wimp, and it's an obvious nod to Maxwell Silverhammer from Abbey Road. Horace, this is it. He asks the girl if maybe they could marry. When she says gladly, Horace cries. Sunday. Everybody's at the church. When Horace rushes in and says, now here comes my wife For the rest of my life And she did Don't be afraid Just knock on the door Well, he just stood there Mumbling and fumbling Then a voice coming by hate this album. It was like punk rock never happened. So what do you do when you've put out your best work, your band is on fire, you released a double album, 
one more time. I can't even say my name. Why is my name so long? How do you say Olivia? Well, you shit all over all of it. You forget how bad the Bee Gees got beat up for Sgt. Peppers. You listen to some corporate mosquito tell you that it would be a good idea to participate in another shitty Olivia Newton-John movie. that disconnected not to have seen what would happen? I distinctly recall seeing this album in the record store and being pissed off at just the thought of it. There's no fucking way I was going to carry that thing home under my arm. Xanadu is what you get when you mix Xanax and doo-doo. Fantastic Cruises Dinner Theater proudly presents some poor soul on the downswing of their career doing a tribute to Olivia Newton-John. Xanadu can't cry on you. And I've heard from other people that the ELO songs are strong in here, but how am I going to get past all that? Am I thinking ELO just turned into another soulless 80s band, like Mike and the Mechanics or some shit? I mean, Olivia Newton-John? Could they have found a more vanilla watered-down vehicle to crash into the wall? I think not. Even Bev Bevan left to join Black Sabbath around this time. Yes, Black Sabbath with ELO's drummer. Listen to my Black Sabbath podcast for further information. Every album got successfully better, and then the 80s happened. And by that time, I was already gone. I was into punk and lo-fi and everything other than what was on the charts. I don't know what hits they had. I don't really care. I probably didn't even think of ELO for another 20 years until I started collecting vinyl again. I will say that out of the later albums, Time is the best one, and it's really tribute to the Beach Boys more than the Beatles. albums had that annoying big snare drum sound. It was on every major release in the decade. The Beatlish harmonies started to sound really tired. He would eventually taint a few Tom Petty albums with that later on. And by the time Jeff Lynne released his solo album, Armchair Theater, his role as an artist took a back seat to his success as a producer. Nobody wanted to hear anything from him unless he was producing it. Man, 
And that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. If your heart could go, I wonder what it would tell me. If your mind could walk, it would bring me a love never ending. And then guess what happens? He gets asked to produce the last two Beatles singles, and they sounded like ELO. Produced by Donnie Shattuck. If you enjoyed this episode, let us hear from you by email at musicpodcast at gmail.com. That's podcast with a K.